Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Good morning and welcome to Blue Ridge Church, y'all. Thanks so much for being here in person, watching online. We are so glad that you're here, especially if it's your first time. Like that video said, we're not going to do anything crazy and make you feel uncomfortable. We really are just glad that you've joined us today. Uh, So the last two weeks, we've been talking about the blueprint of our church, of Blue Ridge Church, of why we exist, kind of what we're doing here in the valley, uh, you know, what our purpose is, what our mission is, and really trying to get the why behind, you know, why do we do certain things the way we do them? Why do we not do things other churches do? Or why do we do them differently? Or why do we have different types of music? Or why don't we have this ministry or that ministry or this ministry? And, and hopefully, whether you've been here for a while or you're new to the church or you're new to church in general, it's been giving you a good idea as to what the mission of the church is supposed to be of what we're supposed to be accomplishing here in life, of what God's called us to, of the footsteps we're supposed to follow in order to accomplish that mission and vision. And so as we close that series out today, hopefully by the end of this morning, the question that I want each one of us to be able to answer is this big question right now. Why was Jesus so attracted to the people who were nothing like him? You know, think about that. Why, when you read through the Bible, or you hear, you know, talking about Jesus on Sundays, why were the people he was attracted to nothing like him? Or even better, why were the people who were attracted to him nothing like him? It's kind of backwards right now. It's, it's the people who are, you know, not religious or maybe not Christian or they don't have any of uh, the same views as us. They're not attracted to the church at all, right? Or, or even sometimes for us, we're guilty of the same thing is if people don't think like us, if they don't live like us, if they don't, uh, you know, do the same things we do or believe the same things we believe, it, we don't really associate with those people. But when you look at the Bible and you look at the, the person of Jesus, why was he so attracted to people who were nothing like him? Why did he spend so much time with those who are nothing like him? And so at the end of this talk, we'll be able to get there and understand that. And that's going to help us understand the mission that we're all supposed to be on as followers of Christ in this world. And again, show you why we do certain things at this church the way we do them. Now, uh, another question for you this morning. Have you ever noticed that in your life, you know, we're all different. We've all got different point of views and perspectives and opinions Have you ever noticed or or do you know anybody who uh, doesn't share the same opinions as you do? Or maybe a better way of saying this is, do you know many people who don't think there's certain certain things that are as important as you do? Or maybe you think there's certain things that are very important or the most important things in life and other people around you don't think the same things. Maybe at your workplace is a really good example, right? Where there's people you work with or work for or people who work for you who think there's certain things that are important, whereas you think other things are more important. Now, not this job, but the other job I work in marketing, we hired this guy a couple months ago, and he's the type of guy who asks questions every single day, okay? And I'm not, you know, against people asking questions, uh, but he asks 
questions every day that you can Google really simply, or, you know, he can read them in the standard operating procedure that we gave him when he was hired. And so, I mean, we'll get like 10, 15, 20 questions every single day. Hey, should I upload this this way or that way? Should I do this? Should I do that? And, and so sometimes I've got to talk to him and say, hey, dude, um, appreciate the questions, uh, but it takes a lot of time and energy to be answering those same questions over and over again. Can you just look those up first before you ask the questions? And he's, you know, a very nice guy. And he's like, oh, I just don't want to mess up. It's really important for me uh, not to, you know, get this stuff wrong. And he's like, I don't even have much time anyways to do that. So it's easier for me just to ask you instead of look it up. I'm like, okay. Uh, and so, uh, so you go to his Facebook profile, though. And he's the type of guy who does these online surveys like, you know, these, these people, the online surveys where you answer 15 questions and at the end, they tell you what type of potato you would be if you were a potato, <laughs> right? So you know, these people, some of you are these people, maybe you're the ones sharing these and, and taking these quizzes, right? You know, some, a lot of people, they have different point of views. What's important to some people might not be important to other people. Uh, people who are married, you know this one pretty well, wives, You've been planning this big party or maybe a get-together, and you're cleaning the house. You're doing what needs to get done. And today's the day that your husband decides to bust out the chainsaw for the first time in eight years and take the tree down in the backyard, right? Because that needs to get done right now, <laughs> right? Or even think about your life when you were younger. Weren't your priorities, weren't the things that you thought were the most important things way different back then than what they are right now? I think back to my 20s and the things that I thought were so important. And then I look at my life right now and those things have no relevancy in my life at all. And it's not that those things aren't important, right? Just because they were important at one point doesn't mean they're not important at all. But in the grand scheme of things, at the end of the day, there's certain things that we consider to be more important than others. And that's what we choose usually to focus on. Now, the reason I bring that up is because in churches, that's kind of the same thing we deal with as a church, as a church body, is certain churches think that one thing is more important, whereas another church thinks something else is more important or the most important thing. I used to go to a church about 10 years ago that, uh, I, I kid you not, was in a meeting for almost two hours because they thought the most important thing to de decide that week was what type of grape juice they should be cutting the communion wine with. Okay, like that made me want to go crazy, right? There's some, you should use Welch's, that's just what we should do. We should go organic, we should do the Jewish grape juice. And I was like, this does not matter. Like, what are we doing? This is not important, this is not accomplishing anything. But one of the things that you'll learn pretty quickly at this church is we do our absolute best to try to focus on only the things that matter the most. The things that are really important. You know, Scott's been up here the last couple of weeks talking about how some of the ways we do that are by making the message of Jesus easy and accessible for other people, for people who are in church for the first time, or maybe they're back at church for the first time in a really long time. And so the way we speak, the way we present ourselves, you know, we don't want anyone to come in here and feel like we're speaking a different language or feel like they're excluded or that they've got to work their way up uh, to become like one of us, right? We, we level the playing field and make it super simple for people to take their next steps and grow, right? Scott brought the ladder up here and started putting rungs on the ladder. And, and instead of, you know, having a church that everyone up here at the top is just looking down at all the people who are new, you know, we put rungs really low on the ladder to help people take their next right steps pretty simply and easily 
so that they can experience the life that God has for them, just like many of us have experienced as well. So uh, when we think of this, when we think of the mission of the church, that's the question that we need to ask. We need to wonder and, and look at what was the most important things that Jesus did. Who are the most, in, what are the most important things that he did? Who are the people he spent his time with? How did he spend his free time? What did he do with his life? And where did he go in his life? And that's going to give us a better picture of what our mission is supposed to be as we go into this world as the local church. See, when you look at the Bible, one of the things we'll do often, especially if you've been in church like me for a longer time, um, you know, you give the Pharisees and the religious leaders a really hard time, right? Like they're the bad guys, they're the evil guys, which is, you know, kind of true. They did crucify Jesus, so, you know, they're guilty. But like we, we, we look at them just as, as bad people. We do, and we don't really give them much grace. We don't really understand them as well. We just think they're kind of the mean guys. But it's really important to understand how they got there in order to prevent us getting there as well. See, the religious leaders had good intentions. They really had the best of intentions when they created the religious system that Jesus showed up to. See, in the Old Testament, what would happen all the time is this constant, never-ending cycle of people falling away from God and then coming back to him right? Then they'd fall away again, and then they'd keep coming back to him. And so life would be good, right? The Jewish people, the Israelites as they're called, you know, they'd be worshiping God, doing what he tells them to do. Things are good, sacrifices, they're they're doing what God has asked them to do. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe it's over the span of weeks, months, years, generations, the people end up falling away from God. Maybe it's because there's a leadership issue, or there's a different king, or they just got complacent and lazy, or maybe there's another God that looked more appealing, and so they'd find themselves falling away from God. And typically what would happen is God would, you know, judge the people. There'd be some consequence to that because that's not the life that God has called them to live. And so, you know, there'd be judgment or he'd send a prophet. Maybe sometimes there's exile where the people would have to leave the promised land that God had given them. But eventually what we see is the people make their way back to God and they're worshiping him the way that he's created for them to worship. All to start the cycle over and over and over again. Okay, so this is a huge problem in the Old Testament. So by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, the religious leaders think that they've figured out a a system and put a system in place to prevent that from ever happening again. And so here's their idea, the religious leaders of that day. They thought, if we just get rid of all of the people who don't follow God, who are bad at following God, and who are constantly disobeying God, then we'll be in good shape. And so what they did is saying, if you're not following Jesus, you're not following the Lord, you're not following God, if you're not obeying the rules he gave, if you're not doing what he told you to do and following the commandments and, and all the law, then, then you're out. And sometimes that meant, man, you're out of the city, you're out of the church, you're excommunicated, we don't want you back. Because when God looks at us, we don't want him seeing people like you. We want him seeing people like us, the ones who are obeying him, the ones who are doing the right thing because we don't want God to discipline us again. And so what ended up happening was there created two different groups of people, the righteous ones, the unrighteous ones, the good ones, the bad ones, the godly ones, the sinners. Okay, and so Jesus shows up, and the people he spends most of his time with were the sinful ones, the people who were furthest away from him. And to understand the heart of the Father, learning number one, you can write this down, 
Jesus spent most of his time with the people who were furthest from him. Here's what I'm going to read to you in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. Because when Jesus comes onto the scene and spending his time with the people who are furthest from him, this is the problem that he encounters. In verse 1 it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the religious teachers of law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. See, Jesus was hanging out with a completely different group of people than the religious leaders thought he would be. Right? Like in their minds, if God came down from heaven, wouldn't he be spending time with the people who've lived their entire lives to follow him and to make him happy and to do what he said to do? How could this guy come down here and be spending the time and eating and sharing his life with these people who want nothing to do with him? Why is he sharing meals with them? Why is he loving them? Why is he accepting them into his circles? Why is he showing them the most attention in his life? The the religious leaders, they just didn't get it. And so they get angry. And they're getting frustrated that he's spending time with other people and not with them. Because, hey, those are the people that made you mad. So, So what do you have to do hanging out with them? So what Jesus does is he tells them a couple stories. And his intention is is to tell these stories, these parables, to help these religious leaders understand why he's spending all of this time with the people who are furthest from him. And so he tells three stories. Here's the first one in Luke chapter 15, verse 4. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. Super basic story. There's no hidden meaning behind this. There's no Greek interpretation that's going to make it more uh, easier to understand. This is very basic. Jesus is saying this. When you lose something that's really, really important to you, that becomes your primary focus. That Finding that thing becomes the most important important thing. It becomes priority number one. You know, not that the other 99 sheep don't matter. They matter. But what matters most is going after and finding the one who's lost and bringing it back home to the rest. And then immediately he goes into another story. In verse 7, he said, in the same way, or he, he says this first, but he says, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Right? So that the celebration of that one coming back is a big deal. It's not just cut your losses, 99% is pretty good. It's saying the father goes and finds the one and brings him back. And here's the next story he goes into in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, She will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So what he's explaining to these people is that when something is lost, it's really, really important to go and find it. And he's saying, listen, the same reason why I'm going after the one or or putting so much attention on the thing that was lost is is the same reason we go crazy when we lose something, right? I mean, you've ever lost your wallet or your phone or your keys 
And not like in a different room or they're in a couch somewhere. I mean like at a restaurant, at a store. I mean, you, you lost them. I mean, they're, they're gone, right? It's, it's, it's a scary feeling. Like you panic. Like all your information's on there. You're thinking someone's using my card at Target. Like they're calling all my friends on my phone, right? When we lose things, it's really important to go and find. They become your, your number one priority. Any parents ever lose kids? <laughs> we all have, right? <laughs> Every one of us. Me and my wife do this thing, we, we, we count one, two, three every time we get into the car just to make sure we haven't forgotten anyone again. Um, I'm just kidding, this never happened. No, but isn't it important, like when you lose something that's really important to you, doesn't that become your number one priority? Okay, I do have a good story for you actually. When I was little, we used to go to Disney World every once in a while with my family. We would, we, there's two boys, two girls, and then my parents. There's six of us. We'd hop in a, a Suburban and drive straight from Buffalo, New York to Orlando, Florida, no stopping, okay? 26 hours in the car, no stopping, okay, crazy. And so we'd get to, to and we'd go in the middle of the summer when it's, a, it's so hot, there's, it's crazy packed, everyone's there trying to do the same thing. And so we're in Disney and... Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all these cool things. We're in this place called Tomorrowland, if you've ever been there. And, and one of the cool things they have are these little stations all over the park where you can look through them and there's all these neat little, you know, stories and little movies that you can watch. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going from story to story and I find one that I really like. It's about space and all these stars. I still remember how cool it was. And so I'm looking through this thing and I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is so cool. And then I look up and my family's gone. They're gone. And so as a little kid, I'm like seven, eight, nine years old at this point. I'm like, maybe if I just look back at this thing and then I look up, maybe they'll be back. Maybe I like got teleported or something. I don't know, Disney, this is my first time. And so I look back through these lens and I'm like, wow, look at all these stars. This is so cool. And then peek my head back up, still gone. Okay, I'd been lost. My parents lost me. And when you have multiple children, you don't realize your kids are lost until a little bit further down the road, right? Okay, so they're in line for a different ride when they realize I'm gone. It was the classic. My mom thought I was with my dad. My dad thought I was with my mom. And so they realize it. They get out of line and they try to find me. Like that's their main priority. They've got to find their lost boy. And so I'm, I'm sobbing. I'm crying. I go up to the concession stand where this teenager's working and I'm like, I lost my parents. They're gone. And I'm thinking I'm like the lost kid. I'm never going to see my parents ever again. Uh, and I'm grateful that my parents came to find me and weren't like, well, we got three more. We'll be fine in the end. But they get out of line, man. They be, they're, they're trying to find every, they're retracing their steps. Here, here, here. We're going to go find them. And then as I'm explaining how I'm lost to this kid, my parents come out of nowhere and they hug me and they're like, oh my gosh, you can't leave us anymore. You can't walk away like that. You've got to hold your hand, our hands and make sure you stay so close to us. And man, when you're lost, I don't know if you've ever been lost before, it's one of the most terrifying feelings that I've ever experienced. But I'm grateful for parents who made it a priority to find me because being found is even better. Right? Being found, knowing someone's looking for you is even better. And so Jesus is trying to explain to these people that there are those out there that are lost, that need to be found. And so he's telling them these stories and he brings this up and it's learning number two about his priorities. He says this, that the priority of Jesus is to find those who are spiritually lost. 
right? The priority of Jesus is to go after the people who are lost. And, and it doesn't mean that those of us who are found don't matter. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about us anymore because we, we found our home or we found a relationship with God. But what's most important right now is prioritizing those who are not found, who've been lost, who are spiritually lost and furthest away from me. He says it this way in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. All right, back in this culture, you, don't, you never went to the doctor for checkups. You only went to a doctor when you were sick. And so he says, I'm coming like a doctor. I haven't come here just to check up on all the healthy ones. I've come here to help those who are sick. And at Blue Ridge, that, that's one of the things we'll learn as, we, as you dive into the culture at this church is we do our best to filter everything we do through the lens of helping Jesus on that mission to find that which is lost. There's a reason why we don't have a ministry for every single age group in life. There's a reason why we don't do certain things that maybe other churches do, and that's fine that they do them. We just have chosen to focus on what's most important, on mission with God to help him find those that are lost. And so he tells a story about the lost sheep, he tells a story about the lost coin, and then he tells the story about the lost son. And this is the third story. And if you've never heard this story before, basically here's the setup of it. There's a father who's got two kids, and at some point the youngest son decides that he wants the inheritance that he would have gotten when his father died, but he wants it right now. And so his father agrees and gives him what's due to be his. And so the son, a couple days later, decides he's taken off. Like, he's, he's going, he's going to go do his own thing on his own. Like, the Bible says that he's going to live wildly, he's going to live lavishly. So he's going to Las Vegas. <laughs> okay, he's going to go party, he's going to do what he wants to do, spend his money, spend his time how he wants to do it, and just be doing all that stuff. And so he does it and has a blast, has a time of his life. But then it gets to a point where he runs out of money, which most people in Vegas experience, right? <laughs> where he runs out of money and the fun's over. And it says that it got so bad that he had to find a job working at a farm taking care of the pigs. And that the food the pigs were eating was better than anything he could afford to put on his plate. So here's what it says in verse 17 in this story. The son, he finally came to his senses. That he got to a point in his life where he's like, I got to make a difference. I got to make a change. I got to do something different here. And many of us get to this pivot moment in our life too. Even if you don't have any relationship with God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a spiritual one. But in life, we all get to a moment where we're like, if this keeps going the way it's going, it is not going to end well. And so this young son decides that he's going to come up with a plan to go back home. But not only go back home like it was before, because he realizes he's ruined a couple things. He's taken his father's inheritance. He squandered it. So there's no way, he disqualifies himself. There's no way I'd ever be able to go back home and be a son. And so here's the plan he comes up with instead. It says in verse 18, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he just feels ashamed. He feels terrible. He feels embarrassed that he's gone out and made some poor decisions and it's came back to bite him in the rear. 
and he feels his life going down this path. And so he says, here's my last hope. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to beg my father to take me back, not as a son, not as royalty, but as a slave. And so here's what happens. He goes back home, and the Bible says he gets in view of his house in verse 20. And, then, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robes in in the house and put them on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead, but now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. That's the heart of the father. That's what he's trying to explain to these religious leaders is the heart of the father. You know, when I first heard this story, you know, when I first started going to church, the one thing that really stuck out to me more than anything else, and one still remains my favorite part of this story, is when the son is on his way back home and he sees his house in the distance, his father comes running to meet him where he's at. And the reason I love that so much is because what that means is that his dad was waiting for him. His dad was waiting for him to come home. The father was waiting for him. If I knew my father was waiting for me to come home after that, I would think it's with a belt or a paddle, right? But he says, no, he was waiting with love and compassion. You know what feels really good in life? Is when you're lost and someone's waiting for you to come home. When you've wandered out on your own and you've made some pretty poor choices, but someone's still waiting for you to come back home. Jesus is saying, this is the heart of God. And it's learning number three. The Father is waiting for us to come home. When he's saying this to the religious leaders, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, he's saying it's really important to find the things that you've lost. Sure, the 99, they're going to be fine. And we'll be back in time to take care of them as well. But the priority needs to be those who are lost. People who are lost need to know that there's someone waiting for them to come back home. There's a father waiting for them with open arms to accept them back into the family. And this needs to be the mission of the church. It was the mission of God, and it is the mission of God, and it needs to be the mission of the church of being people who make it clear that God is waiting for them to come back home. And he's always waiting with open arms, not with a list of to-do things or you got to get this done first or go here or, or say this or change this in your life. No, run home and let your father embrace you. So often it's hard to do that, especially if you've been in church for a long time. And what we end up being is the other brother in the story. Remember, there's two brothers. The younger one goes off and does what he wants to do. The older brother stays at home the whole time and he's doing what he's supposed to do, what his dad's told him to do his whole life. And so the older brother gets kind of mad because he sees his younger brother come home and his dad run out there to celebrate with him and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're, you're not going to discipline him? He, he's ran off and squandered your possessions, your money. He's embarrassed himself. He's embarrassed our name. And you're just going to let him come back? Are you crazy? 
He needs to know what he did was wrong. He needs to know that he did bad things. He needs to know that he has disobeyed his father and done things that go against what his father has asked. Right? It is so easy. I think this is what Jesus is saying here when he brings up the story of the older brother, that it's so easy to become church sometimes and play the game sometimes where we make it hard for people to come home where we become a club for insiders, where we've got the same friends, we do the same things, we sit the same seats, we don't let anyone else come in from the outside, and we make it really difficult for other people to come home. And so as Jesus is saying this to the religious leaders, what he's saying is you've become the older brother. You've become the older brother who's angry, and you'd rather see a sinner be destroyed than them be saved. And that's not the heart of God. God is after those who are furthest from him. He's on a mission to find those who are spiritually lost and bring them back home and embrace them with open arms. It's really difficult to do this. It's really easy to fall into the steps of the older brother. And here's what the father says to him when his father, when the the older son vents. He says, his father said to him, look to your son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So why did Jesus spend so much time with those who are furthest away from him? Because lost people need to know that there's someone looking for him. Lost people need to realize that there's someone out there looking for them, waiting for them to come back home and is willing to embrace them with open arms, no matter what their story is. No matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter how they've spent their time, energy, money, resources, there's always a father waiting for them to come back home, which is why this is the mission of Blue Ridge Church, and it's learning number four. Our mission as a church is to help people find and follow Jesus. That's the most important thing. If that was the most important thing to Jesus, then it's got to be the most important thing to us. A lot of you, you know this, I've got three kids now, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-month-old. It was quarantine, all right? (laughs) So it gets a little crazy at our house, and they're all boys, so there's a lot of energy, a lot going on. (laughs) Um, And so there's times with a three-month-old that, um, you know, he loses his mind, okay, like any three-month-old would. And so we've had to sit our four-year-old and our two-year-old down from time to time and explain to them in a loving way, you know, Wyatt, who's our four-year-old, and Rylan, who's a two-year-old. We're like, buddy, boys, we love you so much. Like, we love you just as much as we love Gaines. Our, our, the three-month-old's name is Gaines. We're like, we love you just, just as much as we love Gaines. But there's moments when he's losing it, when he's pooped his pants, <laughs> when he's hungry, when he's tired, when he's sad, when he just wants someone to hold him, there's moments where we need to give him our full attention. It's not that you're not important, boys, but it's that someone else is more important just for that time being. And we can't necessarily pick you up all the time. We can't play fun wrestling games with you all the time. Sometimes we need to take care of the most important thing in that moment. And so a couple weeks ago, uh, one of the mornings, I try to wake up early just to get some alone time because there's no such thing as alone time as soon as they wake up. <laughs> and so my wife wakes up early. She goes to the gym to get alone time. I wake up and I get coffee and I just stare at a wall. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. I just sit there 
but it's great. It's a nice time to relax and kind of prepare for the day. And so I'm sitting there. It's like 6.15 in the morning. All three boys are upstairs sleeping. And, and so I hear, I start hearing the baby cry. And I'm like, okay, this means it's go time. I got to start getting ready. And so, you know, I try to milk it a couple more minutes and he's still crying. He's still going. And so, you know, I go to make his food, go warm up the water and, and get the milk ready. And, and he's, I mean, he gets, it gets louder and louder and louder. So I know it's time. He's going to be mad when I get up there. And, and so, so I'm making my way upstairs and all of a sudden his screaming just stops. I mean, like on a dime, just stops. And if you're a parent, you know this, there's relief in that, but there's also terror in that, right? Like the relief is maybe he's gone back to bed or maybe she's gone back to bed or the terror is, oh my gosh, what's wrong? Something's wrong. Like babies just don't usually stop crying like that. And so I run up the stairs to go into the room he's sleeping in and there's my four-year-old son, Wyatt. And he's looking over the bassinet and he's doing this little thing where he's saying, can you smile? Can you smile? And, and he's making my three-month-old so happy. And I remember seeing that and thinking, that's the mission of the church. That's the mission that we're on together because instead of being angry that we need to take our attention off of him and take care of the most important thing in that moment, you know what he decided to do? He decided to partner with the father. He decided to partner with his dad and help his father out take care of the most important thing. See, that's the mission of the church. Sometimes it's hard to comprehend that we might not be the most important things in moments in life. And again, it's not that God doesn't care. It's not that God's not going to show us attention or do anything for us or listen to us or take care of us when we're hurting. But there's moments where there's people who are lost in life that become the most important thing. And so instead of becoming the older brother in the story that gets angry and mad that his father is accepting his son, what we need to be is the, the heart of the father, that, that instead of being angry, we need to partner with him and work alongside of him as a church saying, I'm going to help you take care of those that are lost. I'm going to help you find those who are lost. And I'm going to make the mission of my life to go out and find those people who are lost and welcome them back home with open arms. That's the mission of the church. And so as a church, as individuals, we've got to figure out what that looks like for us. Maybe that's as simple for you as inviting someone to church. Maybe that's as simple as just sitting down and listening to someone you work with or your neighbor who you don't necessarily like listening to. <laughs> but maybe there's something going on in their life that all they need is for someone to listen. And they might not think like you. They might not believe like you believe. They might think you're crazy for going to church or being a Christian. But remember, Jesus spent his time, most of his time, with the people who are furthest from him. Why? Because they need to know that there's someone waiting for them to come home to. With open arms, with grace, meeting them where they are. It's the heart of God. And it's the heart of the church. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your love for us, for each one of us. 
And to be completely honest, it's not easy to take the back seat sometimes and, and focus on other people because, like me, I just, I want the attention on me. I want to be the main focus. I want to be the one you're looking at and no one else. But sometimes we need to understand that there's things that are more important than just me. And it's not about me all the time. God, help us to understand that as a church. Help us to continue living that out as a body of believers, of people who are trying to figure out each and every day what it means to follow you. God, help us to have love and compassion and grace with the people who are furthest away from you. Even though they might mock us, even though they might think we're idiots or think we're crazy for doing what we're doing and believing what we're believing, God, help us to love them anyways. Because we never know when they're going to have a moment in their lives when they come to their senses and realize that something needs to change. Give us your heart. Teach us what it means to, to have the heart of the Father. Maybe you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you're like the young son, and you have been living a certain way in your life. And it doesn't have to be crazy or lavishly, but it, it's come to a crossroads where you know for a fact that if you don't change now, it's not going to end well. And maybe the next step you need to take this morning is by accepting that invitation that the Father gives out to come back home with open arms, not with a list of things that you need to do first, but just simply running back home and embracing the celebration that God has as you come back. You can just say a simple prayer in your heart. You don't have to say this out loud. Something like, God, I, I know I've fallen away. I know I'm, I'm going down a wrong path, but I want to turn my life around right now and run to you. I'm lost, but I want to be found. I accept what you did for me on the cross, and I want to live for you. God, for the rest of us, again, help us to understand how amazing it is of what you've done for each one of us. And each one of us at one point in our lives was the most important thing, the lost one who needed a home. But you let us come back to the Father. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, y'all, thanks again for being here. As always, if you want to connect with us, maybe if there's something you need or if you've got a question or need, uh, fill out that connection card, submit it online, and we'll get someone to help you out. If you want to give this morning, you can do that online as well, or you can use the black boxes in the back. But I hope you join us next week. We're kicking off a brand new series on joy, of how to find joy in life and do it the right way. And so I hope you join us for that. Uh, and also hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much.